It's Wednesday, September 21st, 2016, and you're listening to episode 416 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 55 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. My name's Chad. This is Brodor. So, Dan, the uh, Fear the Boot conspiracy, do you make yourself sound better? By adjusting the no, the I levels don't. On just your mic. In fact, and you're you know just what? that sexy. Yeah, you if know, you actually, that's exactly what he would say. <laughs> if you look at uh-huh. the, uh, I'm a micer. You're a micer. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I believe in the conspiracy that Dan adjusts his own levels to make himself sound better. It's than the loose knobs conspiracy. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but no, if you look at the levels for the high range, mid range, low mm-hmm. range. They are the same on and all I the mics. are very close. You and I share a pan. The, so yeah, we share. We share so a stereo our, pan. Ours are the same. So yes. the only time Dan has edited or adjusted a voice, I have that privilege. As well as the only time Dan has cut something up to make them say something else on an episode, I have that privilege no, no, as no. well. Because I seem to remember. I've done that a few times. I only did yeah. it once with the intention of misrepresentation. Yeah. There have been a few points where sentences got mangled really badly. Right. And so I would have to Frankenstein together what the person was trying to say from either other episodes or other portions of that episode. And usually it comes out so clean you can't tell it occurred. Now, the one I did on Wayne, which was totally an act of. Oh, malice, where I made Wayne ask everybody for scaly porn was one of the worst edit jobs I have ever done in my entire career of editing this show. I seem to remember it was horrible 10 years ago or something there. There was this, a joke that we had where you were making me sound more nasally than I already do. I did that for and one episode. Yeah, you did it for one episode, but I thought that you like forgot to flip it back and then somebody made a joke. You're like, oh no, I don't. And then you look down and you're like, oh crap. <laughs> I think you're right. That did happen. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was making a joke and I did, I dropped out your bass completely. Right. And I put you purely into the high range. Mm-hmm. So Chad <laughs> sounded terrible. But like, Two or three episodes, yeah. too. All oh. these comments about how much better the quality of his voice was. That's right. So I've got a story, and you guys may be wondering, how the heck does this tie into role-playing games? But trust me, a story ties into role-playing games. So yesterday, I'm driving into work, all right? Now, I fully believe that there are certain things in life that are constant and cannot be changed, right? And the speed of light's not one of them. The constant that cannot be changed is my arrival time at work. If I leave earlier, more things go wrong on the trip there, and I arrive at the same time. If I leave later, it's clear sailing. I will always get there at the same time. It just does not matter what I do. So Monday, yesterday, I make the mistake of leaving early. And so as I'm driving down, I'll I'll try to give a quick geography thing here. I'm driving down 370, which is, it's a an an interstate highway they built, even though it's under the interstate system, it's not an interstate. But nonetheless, it basically helps bypass some major traffic intersections in St. Louis to relieve some pressure there. So where I'm headed, I work in Illinois, so 370 is a great way to bypass those sections of St. Louis I don't even need to be in. And so... I'm going down 370, and 370 dumps out onto a larger interstate, which is 270, which eventually does go out towards Indianapolis and such. But out here, it more or less forms a loop around St. Louis. It's not exactly right, but it's close enough. It basically forms a loop around St. Louis. And so what happens is where 370 hits 270, it ends. 
So it's not an exit. You don't exit off of 370 onto 270. Instead, 370 just becomes additional lanes of 270. And then one by one, they're eliminated until 270 is back down to its original number of lanes. It's actually pretty common around here. Yeah, it, it is fairly common. It's a little crazy there because you get people trying to go both directions. Because you get people trying to go left to get toward 270. And the people trying to go right because there's an exit onto a street there called McDonald, which is named for the guy that McDonald Douglas was named for. And McDonald clown and Mc, yeah, not not McDonald McDonald <laughs> and in an L and it's now been McDonald Douglas was purchased by Boeing. So now it's Boeing, but that's who it's named for. So as I'm turning on 370 to get on to 270, I'm going at full interstate speeds. So I'm going 60, 70 miles an hour somewhere in there. I'm not exactly sure, but you know, interstate type speeds. And all of a sudden my car completely goes out of control. Back left tire blows out. The car is shaking like it's in an earthquake. It starts swerving back and forth. I'm in one lane, but I'm swerving into the right lane and the and left you lane. Your will save, made it, and rolled your drive. <laughs> I there is one thing, one trait I know I get from my mother, and I'm glad to have it, which is when crisis hits. Because my mom, she was yep. a trauma nurse. When crisis hits, I don't panic. I actually think more clearly. And so, despite the fact that my car is shaking, it's literally now swerving between three lanes i don't have control of it i had the sense to hit the hazards and to begin not slamming on the brakes or making hard turns but gently nudging the brakes and making gentle turns and by the way if you're ever in this situation when your car goes out of control in the interstate the best thing you can do is slow down gently let other drivers know you're in distress and make easy turns if you try to lock up the brakes and you're going to the left and you try to jack the wheel to the right really hard all kinds of bad stuff's about to occur so just take it slow and easy and so once i finally clear out of that sort of stoicism i start freaking out quite a bit more my car is barely holding together and i managed to get on the exit to mcdonald which is the street right there and i turn left I know there's a gas station down there, so I'm thinking I'll at least look at the damage. I had figured out it had to be a tire. I'll jack up the car, swap out, put on the, the donut, and then figure out what I'm going to do from there. Well, as I start driving down McDonald, even though the, the gas station's right there, I start thinking, you know, I don't know how I'm going to make it this far. I mean, this car was really going nuts. And also, I'm afraid I'm going to bend up the wheel rim right. you know, from, from driving on without a tire. So I pull over into the first parking lot that I see, and I pull up into this parking lot, pull over, get out, get my donut out, get my car jack out, start lifting up the car, start trying to get the nuts off the tire. And all of a sudden this guy walks over wearing like black slacks and like some kind of like a button up shirt. And he's got one of those power tools like they use in an auto garage for removing the nuts that hold the tire on. And you pull into that dealership? Well, it was not a dealership because I hadn't really been paying attention because I'm freaked out. I had actually pulled up in front of a place called Auto World, which is an independent repair and tire place that is located right there. And I'm happy to plug the name (laughs) because this guy walked up to me and said, hey, do you just need help getting on the spare? Because I would be happy to use my power tools and such to get that spare on for you so you can get on your way a lot faster. And, and he was tr- like, I like men with power tools. <laughs> and then it just it, yeah. morning shot. Couldn't pronounce the safe word. And <laughs> right. <laughs> is that a drill in your hand or are you just happy to see me? And right. so no expectation to sell him anything. But as I look over there and realize you know, there's a tire place right there, I'm like, OK, I'm not going to get <laughs> I don't know that I should be driving all the way from where I'm at into Illinois, which is a long drive. Right. It's about 30, a, 30, 40 yeah. miles you have ago. A ridiculous commute. Yeah. So I'm like, well, can you guys just put two new tires on? It's mm-hmm. only one 
blown, but if you're going to replace one rear tire, you might as well replace the other so the car handles evenly. Right. So we get the car pulled over there and they get the two tires replaced. And I text the people at work, say, hey, this is what happened. And I get back on the road. And I drive into work. And when I, I posted about this mm-hmm. on Facebook, all right, this is where we're going to get to role-playing games. So I posted about this on Facebook, and a bunch of people started commenting about, well, I'm glad you're okay. Because if there had been a car to my left or right, or if that car had fishtailed just a little more, I would have been definitely in a wreck, possibly injured, possibly killed. I mean, it was bad scene. Car's out of control at 60, 70 miles an hour. Okay, this is a really bad scene. And there were other people talking about how, well, this is one of my paranoias, one of my fears. That was what I posted. This is actually one of my biggest fears is being on the highway and having a tire blow when you're at full speed. Except in your case, like you said, there weren't people around. My fear is it'll happen when there's people around. That was pure, pure grace of God luck, whatever you want to chalk it up to. There were people behind me. But as I hit the hazards and looked up, I saw that they had the sense, thankfully, to slow down and they were lane changing away from me because I was trying as the car stabilized to get to the right hand shoulder. So they were slowing down and getting to the left side, which I'm grateful for because not only were they protecting themselves, but if I end up in a wreck, if I hit something not moving, a ditch, a tree, even a divider, a that's going to suck. Yes, totally. Giraffe. <laughs> I was in the middle of the zoo. Mm-hmm. But if and one I, could escape, but if I hit a moving object, obviously a whole new physics equation gets introduced. So this gets, you know, and you don't know if more vehicles are going to pile up or lose control. And pretty soon I'm the guy at the front of this pile up and dead. Right. So, all right. Anyways, point being, so I post about this on Facebook and some people said, Hey, this is one of my real paranoias. And so I start kind of walking people through what had gone through my mind and how I got control of the situation. Cause that wasn't my first time to the rodeo. I've never had a tire blow on the interstate before, but I have had situations occur. Like one of them was I had a guy where I was on a merge lane and I was going fast, but he apparently wanted to go even faster and almost ran me off the road on a merge lane trying to get onto the interstate. And I started fishtailing and lost control in that situation. So I've lost control of my car on the interstate a couple of times now. So getting it back under control, I, I this is not something you want a track record in. It's like surviving heart attacks. You don't want a track record here, but I have a track record here. And so I started walking through the steps of here's how I got through this. But this leads a guy by the name of Jason, who's a member of Fear the Boots Facebook group and is also friended with me. He said, you know, I didn't want to post about this over on your feed because it seemed a little bit inappropriate. But this did get me thinking about a role-playing angle, which is in role-playing games, do we really do a lot to include the incidental stories or the incidental events of life? Because if you look at the average role-playing game, typically everything that occurs has some kind of significance. It ties together, right? Now, Chad, you're raising an eyebrow, and I'm going to tell you right now. Because that's not how I run it. No, it is not. And it's it's not entirely how I do either. But I have noticed that in a lot of games that it is an expectation that when the game master includes something, it's going to be somehow plot or setting relevant. Or the one exception to this is the random encounter. Then, of course, this is something D&D started and as it's found its way into other role playing games and the general gestalt thinking of role players as a whole is the random encounter. You set up your night watch and we roll to see if a bunch of bugbears happen by for no particular reason. But he made the point that there's not a lot of things that happen in role-playing games that are just these incidental but interesting stories. Now, there's a lot to discuss here. And Chad, the way that you GM, I'm going to come back to. Because the way that you GM, I think, beggars this in a way that 
most GMing styles don't. So we're going to come back to that. So just hold that thought. But I think one of the criteria I want to put on this is the event at least begins. It's set up as something that is truly incidental. Now, when my tire blew on the interstate, I have some guesses about what happened. Okay, I have a few theories on why that tire blew. So when I actually went and removed it, there was a six-inch tear between the tread and the wall of the tire. Now, before anyone asks, this was not a worn-out tire. This was not some ancient tire that had needed replacing. This was a tire that had maybe 20,000 miles on. I think it's rated for 40 or 60,000. So... And all the nails we shoved in it, too. I mean, that, <laughs> Well, that a nail wouldn't tear it like that, generally speaking. I mean, a nail would not cause that kind of a blowout. Only if amateurs shoved the nails in it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I guess if you're out there with your stiletto dragging it through the tire. Well, then... why else do I have a stiletto? <laughs> <laughs> I have a few theories on why. But the point is that when I pulled into the parking lot, it was not immediately like, I need to take out my cell phone and start hitting up all my contacts to find out who did this hit on me. <laughs> right? <laughs> it was not like... It's Jimmy Fingers. You know, I'm looking for the calling of my life. You know, part of the human story is a search for significance. And so, you know, one of my life goals is to get a novel out there or something like that. You fear the boots part of one of the things I want to accomplish in my life. How does this figure into that? Right. Right. Is is this something that I need to investigate? Because this is going to get me a book dealer, be a chapter in my autobiography. Because God, life's GM threw this at you in the game that is your life. So what? that means it is significant in some way. My well, first that's thought not how life works. Yeah, my first thought as you described this was if this were in a game and it happened, my thought process would be, okay, did someone try to take a hit out? Is this part of the overall plot? Was this a reason or an excuse to get me into this tire dealer where the plot is? Yeah. <laughs> that those really are kind of the first thoughts that come to mind is if something so, I get in our world, this this isn't really out of the ordinary. No, I mean, it doesn't happen to us on a day to day basis. But I've seen it happen on the highway. I'm sure everyone else has too to other people. But in a game, when something like that happens, where it's not well, in a game, people run games, and this is not a criticism. Mm-hmm. People run games like their plays or books or something like sure. a movie, whatever. And it's the check off gun thing where you see a gun on a mantelpiece in the first act, it needs to go off in the third act. Right. Because otherwise the audience is sitting there, and if the gun never goes off, I mean, it's so significant, it's so big, it's so centrally placed, if the gun doesn't go off, people will leave saying, well, that was a good play, but there was just something off about it. Like, because they're thinking, what did I miss? You know, that there what was the significance clean, of the gun? the gun and this goes beyond the red herring in a mystery. If we're just talking about tropes here, because in a mystery, the author throws out red herrings to misdirect and obfuscate the mystery sure. to make it more mysterious. But by the end of it, the mystery is all solved and wrapped up. You know, Poirot uses his little gray cells to solve it. And yeah. Lays out well, the case. And I, I th- by the way, thank you for mentioning Hercule Poirot. I love the little gray cells. <laughs> yeah. My wife recently watched all the Poirot that was on Netflix. Did she, she happen to it. read all the Poirot? I don't think she ever has. It's no. Agatha Christie. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also, if you're unfamiliar with it, Murder on the Orient Express, Agatha Christie now. Mm-hmm. Is a Hercule novel. Yeah, it's yeah. a novel. Yeah, it's, it's good stuff. Yeah. But I, I think, yeah, it's, I don't get me wrong. I love Sherlock Holmes stories. Oh, yeah. But I'm, I'm sad he's mm-hmm. the only detective right. that gets any fame and name recognition when there mm-hmm. are, some, are some other great Absolutely. detective stories out there in fiction. But anyway, you know, I wonder if part of this is because of a metagame truth that the players know, which is when you live out life, we accept that there are a lot of moving parts, there's a lot of things going on that don't necessarily 
necessarily interact with each other. And I think most people are going to fall into one of two camps, maybe one of three. And I'm going to overgeneralize here, but I'm just trying to just follow me for a thought experiment. One is they might take the view that either there is no God or God is utterly detached from what occurs in this world. So things happen simply by causality that to us appears to be chance and effectively is chance. There's not going to be a moral significance to ever. If a tire blows out, it's just because the tire blew out. It's just how it happened. You might get a middle school of thought that says, well, God is involved in some things, but there are other things that just happen Mm -hmm. because God allows the chaos or God isn't involved in all the little stuff or whatever God is. Okay, now God might be the universe. God might be some kind of, you know, being or whatever. I'm just using God here, but I realize Buddhist and Hindu cosmologies and such wouldn't quite work with this, but just play along. The third school of thought is going to be the people that are more strongly theistic who might say that God has a purpose in all things. I mean, perhaps the purpose of me getting that tire blowout was to communicate to somebody on Facebook who will one day have a tire blowout how to survive that event, and they'll go on to survive that event. Or perhaps it was simply to do me the favor of giving me a show topic. I was about to say, maybe the show topic you were going to do was really boring and he's like i don't want to listen to that <laughs> but but the point being that even people that are in that camp will generally accept i think within the bell curve of reasonable people mm-hmm. that even if you believe it had a purpose there is a design to it we don't necessarily think that we understand the significance to all of the events or that the significance will be made apparent to us there are some things that may happen because god has reasoning or plans that we won't see play out or wouldn't understand if we did see play out or who knows what, right? So the point being that I think in life, whatever school of thought you're from, most people accept there are things that happen that we have to file away as trivial, unrelated, okay? Mm -hmm. They're incidental. When you're playing a role-playing game, you know this game is being orchestrated by a human mind that you are probably socially familiar with that has social goals in mind that you can comprehend, okay? I may not know exactly what's going on in my GM's mind, but I don't consider it to be so foreign as to be God Almighty, nor do I have such a delusional view of things I think it's non-existent, that I think Wayne is just a figment of my imagination. So you have, so to speak, within the context of the metagame, you have a very theistic worldview. You believe that there is absolutely a watchmaker. Okay, something we can debate in the real world in a game, unless you're really like a solipsist or something, you believe that there's somebody there that's orchestrating this game. And when you look at it, you know your character has to use the bathroom. Sure. You know, in a lot of games, if it's a modern world, the character probably has a day job that's also, for the most part, not being addressed. You know, things will come up. You know, bathroom might come up because Chad's running the game and wants Pat to have to rush to the bathroom. But (laughs) he's not going to do it every single time. Once is enough to make a point. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And so the thing is, when you think about all those things, you know all those are happening in the life of your character, but they don't come up in game. So you think of what does come up in game. Because, yes, because you have a finite amount of time and you assume the game master has an end goal of some kind. Even if that end goal is just entertain everybody. It may not be an end point to the plot, but if you walk into the bathroom and they go out of their way to tell you, oh, there's no toilet paper there. You assume there's a reason for this. Go, well, no, there is a reason for it. They're out of toilet paper. But... <laughs> in, 
you know, to kind of tangent off this a little bit, too, I think I've made this point before, though, about Quentin Tarantino and about how he makes movies, whether you like his stuff or not, I don't care. But he makes a point in movies that everything happens for a reason. And because you only have a limited amount of time and you have to get in all your material and you have to give all the actors their screen time and it's like boop, 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 and it has to go, 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 go. And Tarantino talks about how in a movie, nobody eats. Like you could even have a scene where you're at dinner and everybody has food around them, but nobody's eating. And there's a practical reason for that. If you're an actor, you can't deliver a line with a piece of meat in your mouth and a fork. Right. He actually goes against that. In his movies, people eat because in reality, people eat all the freaking time. And the places where they eat are the places where they interact. And the places where they interact are the places where interesting stories happen. And so you look at Pulp Fiction, the scene in the diner when the diner gets robbed. I mean, there's a lot of character development, a lot of interaction going on, and a lot of story being told that is actually pushing the plot forward while they're eating. But the fact, to pull this around back to the original point, the fact that they're eating does not matter. It, it's not part of the plot. It's not part of the story. Chad and, to, and I both have a tendency when we're running games, there are meals. Yes. There are I, meals and music for both of us, even when I'm mm -hmm. running one shots. This comes up a lot. Yeah. Meals are a big thing in games that we're running. Yeah. And, and I think part of it is because it does give the characters a chance to right. sit down and talk. It gives the characters a chance to talk, but it also lends a level of veracity. The food is unimportant as far as the plot, you know, save the dragon from the evil princess. The food is totally unimportant. The meal is totally unimportant. Everything about the scene is totally unimportant, but you need a scene where the characters are together and they have a chance to role play and they have a chance to talk about the plan and you can drop some plot hooks in. Have them eat. Have them do yeah. stuff like that. And I think that, that what you're talking about here is can the random incidents of life be included in a role playing game? Absolutely. Now, Wayne and I lean on food because we both really like to eat a lot, but, you know, it's a common coin of social that we can exchange with our players. But I also believe that that the random incidents of life, if a game master salts his game with those, can also enliven the game. For instance, if you're playing Dan the Programmer game, Dan right. Goes to Work, I absolutely would strike your tire and, you know, have you blow up, make a you will check, make your drive roll. And have you pull over, and then guess what? You get to meet Wayne the mechanic. Right. And he comes out, and then there's a conversation. And, you know, the tire blowing out is not important, but the interaction between you two is. Sure. And I think that these incidents create that interaction. I think that's the distinction, though. I mean, in the scenario of... Oh, in the scenario, Dan, Dan's all it, alone. Dan, yeah. Dan blows a tire... And he's alone mm. and it sucks. And as his friend, it is an interesting story to hear. You know, I'm glad to hear that you're okay. I'm glad that you posted on Facebook. I hope that someday your advice does help someone. But in a game situation, it has to further the game. It has to be interesting on some level to the player. It has to be entertaining to the other players. Broder, I think you just said something really important, which is you said it has to further the game. Yes. You did not say it has to further the plot. Right. right. Developing your character right. furthers the game. There was a point that was raised by a guy named Anthony on this discussion thread on Facebook, which I'll link to. If you've not joined our Facebook group, feel free to do so. Or you've never joined Facebook? Yeah. <laughs> brother, get your ass on Facebook. <laughs> and get a cell phone. My brother is doing a fine job representing me on Facebook. <laughs> get all the necessary reports. How would you know? <laughs> you don't see what he posts. Because I trust my brother. 
Huh, maybe misplaced. But <laughs> is that what people with brothers do? Trust oh, man, each I, other? I, I, I fucking love that guy. I do. I do. He's so pig-headed and brilliant. I, I love him. He's great. But, but there was this guy named Anthony who raised... Do you owe him like 20 bucks? Or no, I just, okay. I just love him. But he, who raised what I think is a very, very valid point, if a Game Master opts to use these things. One of the things you have to really avoid is making the game either tedious or banal. Mm-hmm. Because... If you go into the bathroom, there's no toilet paper, and you go off on this 10-minute side tangent to try and get toilet paper without running pencils through the restaurant, and it doesn't forward the characters, it doesn't add anything to the setting, it's not compelling, it's not adding anything to the game, I don't think that's added to the plot, but to the game, then it really is, I think, banal, it is frustrating, and it is distracting from what the players want to do and want to accomplish, especially because incidents like this will oftentimes focus on one or two people. Now, if we talk about an interesting NPC, Chad, you and I all the time, we throw in NPCs that have all kinds of background and flavor Mm -hmm. and side stories. And these idiot players just totally ignore them. Well, sometimes they ignore them, but other times it does forward the game because one, it just adds depth Mm -hmm. to the setting or two, they pick up on something and they turn it into a plot or they turn it to a point of fascination that wasn't there before. So I think something you do have to look at is because there is a finite amount of time and people are wanting a game that's compelling and interesting, I think something you do have to ask yourself is what purpose does this have in the game? But that purpose does not have to be forwarding the plot or serving as some major Mm -hmm. foreshadowing of some future point in the plot. Well, and if you do this with the wrong group, I can just imagine the entire group trying to figure out why did the tire blow up? Right. And it becoming this giant mystery that really doesn't exist. Yeah. It blew out because I wanted it to blow out so you could talk to the guy. There's nobody shot your tire. Imagine they spend two or three game sessions on this. In a bookstore. And there's, yeah, a bookstore as well as slang for a tar pit in the plot where the players get Mm -hmm. hung up and there's nothing there. It's just a bookstore. Yeah. And because this happened in a game of ours for anyone who's not been following the show that long. But the problem you could have is people chase this down looking for a payoff and you as a game master you never had a payoff in there well i totally agree with you i absolutely agree i think that you can have these details in there and it'd be banal and boring and stuff too but i think that depending on the group you could have these really nothing details in there in these events and they could be inspiring yeah So let me tell you the story of Chekhov's candy sticks. (laughs) So the guys in our current group are investigating a murder and they are tracking who they think the murderer is down. By the way, they did figure it out and they did solve the murder, but they're tracking the murderer down. And one of the ways that they track him down is the guy has like medical conditions. And so they kind of get his neighborhood and they're like, well, we don't know what house he lives in. We just know what neighborhood he lives. Oh, wait, he has medical conditions. Let's find the pharmacy. I mean, he's got to go there all the time, right? And it's right by his house. And then we can question the guy and figure it out. Was not even in my head that they would do this, that they would go this route. This is something they invented. So it's very cool, but I got to think quick, right? And as a game master, I don't like the idea of, okay, you go to a store and there's the NPC and you question him and you leave. Because in my mind, that makes a space that's totally empty and there is a faceless, nameless person there and they are punching buttons and getting responses back to their questions. So I need to paint a picture. I create this drugstore and it has 
all of these bottles and stuff and he's selling all this stuff and then as i'm going through and he has these big glass jars these tall ones filled with different colored hard sticks and the reason i have to explain it like this is because it's a post-apocalyptic world and it's always dark it's always nighttime they don't have the punches they don't have sugar they can't grow sugar they don't have it they don't even know what it is i mean i guess you do beets and stuff but it's yeah not there are com- other sources yeah. of sugar but, but it's know. not common sort of thing right and so and also these are really poor people so i like kind of thinking that the rich people have might have sugar but poor people don't but anyway so i present that to them as just sort of a little thing and i tell the players you know what this is and i describe a candy stick right a, sh- a stick of sugar a candy stick But your characters do not know what they are. Your characters are poor. You've never had anything like this. And you're in the rich neighborhood right now investigating this. They don't even care about the mystery. They don't care about the mystery. They don't care about the guy behind the counter. (laughs) They're huffing pixie sticks. They're they're starting asking me about these candy sticks. And I'm like, oh, what the hell am I going to do now? But but those those are the magic moments in gaming. They start rolling to see how good they are, right? And so, and I have them roll. It's like, okay, well, I, I buy one. And, you know, I t- and and so I think it was Pat or maybe it was you. Somebody gets the first candy stick and I'm like, okay, roll, roll to see. My thinking is roll to see if you like it. And crit, like boom, the dice blow up, crit. Oh my God. I because described. it was an unimportant roll. It was an, un- gonna crit. It's an unimportant roll. So all this crit, put it in your mouth and it is like, you know. Can you slow down? <laughs> it's like you taste Right. Color and all this sort of stuff. Well, here's the thing. When that one roll happens, well, now everybody wants a candy stick. Right. Right. So we go around the table. It's amazing. Crit, 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 crit. Most unimportant rolls of the game. And I'm like, it tastes like lemon. It's yellow. And I tell the player it tastes like lemon, but you don't know what lemon is. And and so we're like describing this acid. And also in Blaze the Dark, you have those vices. Can you swap vices so that like. Absolutely. Sugar. Yeah. Yes. Yes, you can. And the reason why it's a vice, because you can't freaking get it. Yeah. So you got to like kill people to get it. So it gets around to Beth and Beth's like, oh, yeah, man, this is so fun. Everybody's having so fun. I'm going to roll. Boom, boom. One. <laughs> it's just like you got diabetes. The, you got the hagfish flavored. one. It's just like, oh. But and it's amusing because this is a trend too. yeah. The taste of the coffee. Mm-hmm. In the coffee shop that has the number two biscotti, yeah, is irrelevant. Doesn't matter to the game at all. But we all rolled for what we thought of it. All of us rolled and you know rolled really high, except for Sarah, right. who rolls a one and finds this thing to be the worst tasting thing ever. And she's a crazy one, yeah, right. Everyone's like, "You are crazy." It's because you drink mercury because you're this alchemist and all that sort of stuff. She's like, "No, it really is bad." And they're and like, "Crazy." None of this matters to the plot, to the story, to any of it. Mm-hmm. What it does is it really fleshes out the world and it fleshes out that one character that was Mm -hmm. now thinking differently than everyone else. And and this is something that I I put in my notes when I was thinking this through is I think what's incumbent upon, I suppose the game master to guide it. I hate to dump this entirely at the feet Mm -hmm. of the game master because I hate it when people dump really any portion of the game at the entirely at the feet of the game master. But I think one of the things you have to do is find some way to not make these incidental events remain mm-hmm. purely incidental. Now, that does yes. not mean they have to tie back in a big way to some other plot. But if it's not doing something to create a payoff in the game, then at that point, it's like, why did you put this in here at all? The- so with Chekhov's candy stick, there are 
the pharmacist is an old guy. Yeah. And there is another character who is an old character who's a woman. Sarah's character gets the idea, well, I'm going to hook these two up. They've never met before. They're old. Old people get it on with each other. That's going to be great. The thing what she didn't know is that the first incident of them going into this pharmacy inspired me. And it got me thinking, because why does he have sugar? How does he have sugar? You interviewed him. You sat down with him and you were like, so where did the sugar come from? There was another incident, and I won't go into this big, long, involved story, but it was simple. Kajit has wares. (laughs) I don't know what I just heard. (laughs) You guys, seriously, nobody heard uh, Moon Sugar, Elder Scrolls, Kajit? Oh, oh, I didn't understand what you said. I said Kajit has wares. Kajit has wares. You said it so quickly. Sorry. My brain just started racing. It was like back back when... Somebody listening at home (laughs) to just just post on the forums, I got it. Kajit has wares, yeah. Yeah. I love Kajit. (laughs) But so anyway, again, I won't bore you with this big story, but there's this other character who's a woman. She bakes cookies. Uh Uh-huh. And we kind of did the same thing in this other scene months later with cookies and the players are, you know, it's cool. We had fun and all that sort of stuff, but I'm sitting there like what's in a cookie, butter, milk, sugar, eggs, flour, eggs. eggs. Yeah, it's not, not much. How does she get them? <laughs> it is a big giant fucking thing in my game. These two characters are huge. They're both ridiculously powerful as well. The players don't know don't understand one or two of them like wayne one or two of them suspect but there is a gigantic plot going on but they're just two kindly old people random freaking encounters that i just put flavor on and they're huge and the players may never know let's play a little game here why do people drop things in a movie objects to get your attention okay get your attention what else why why else might somebody drop something in a movie Pratt Break fault. it and cause a complication. Break it and cause mm-hmm. a plot complication. Okay. Further, why, why would people drop things in a movie? For someone else to find it. For someone else to mm-hmm. find it. Why do people drop things in a 3D movie? To, to scare you. Right. To, it's come, right. right. It's for to the alarm the audience. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There's one thing right there where depending on the nature of the experience, the way that you approached it, you had a completely different expectation for what its purpose was. In the regular movie, you're thinking... This is somehow plot significant. It's to get your attention. In my favorite TV series, Nowhere Man, mm-hmm. uh, shattering glass, people dropping glass and shattering was a major recurring cinematic theme in, in that series. It's for somebody else to find. It's to cause a plot complication. It's to get You're, somebody to bend over so you can look on their cleavage. So you can look mm-hmm. at their cleavage or ass. Yes. I mean, it's, the, but the, it, the point is, it's there for one reason. If they drop something in a 3D movie, it may have literally none of these points of significance. It may not be plot relevant. It may not be a TNA shot. It may not be any of this stuff. It's simply so the audience gets the thrill of seeing it coming right at them. And I think when you look at the expectation the players have in the game, because if you don't set those expectations right, if they're expecting what I just described as like the 2D movie and a tire blows or they find a candy shop, damn it, it's a front for something. Mm-hmm. And they are going to dig at it and dig at it until finally you as a game master have to either invent something or step in and say, guys, okay, time out, out of character. It's seriously just a confectionery. Right. Get on with the plot. But if you are telling that 
3D movie type mm-hmm. of game, then people understand. I mean, I would wager, Wayne, your expectation, and am I correct on this? When you walked into there and they had candy, you did not expect that that was necessarily going to forward the plot in some major way. No, I know Chad. Chad I know he exactly. wants to make this a interactive real mm-hmm. world. And, and there was a point, and Chad, this is where I was telling you earlier to kind of hold off energy. If I mean, you pointed it out, though, Dan, I would think... There is something plot significant about the time he spent to describe these candy sticks. Yes. And that's actually something that I've had to work on as a game master over the years is because I want to be able to do more incidental things. Mm-hmm. But because people have expected that everything somehow fits together, because that's where my best sure. GMing is, anything I put in there gets noted a little bit too harshly. But there was a point that was made by a guy named Darren, same thread. And I'm paraphrasing it here. But Chad, this is what I was talking about earlier when I said hold off in your GMing style, because this is what he's talking about. He said that in many ways, a truly improv game master does this by the nature of what they do, especially if you're playing very improv, very sandbox, you're putting things out there that don't have significance until somebody gives them significance. Mm-hmm. And so what you might do is somebody's driving down the road and their tire blows out. And in truth, you really didn't per se have anything in mind with this. If they start role playing with the mechanic, it goes one direction. If they start thinking this had to be a hit on me because of something in my uh, my character questionnaire about people (laughs) I pissed off in the mob, you might take this in a very different direction. But the point is that in that moment, you're choosing to give this significance because the setup, and I'm not saying nothing in your world has intended significance, right. but what I am saying it is, is it is generally it is generally the nature of an improv GM that you put things out there without them necessarily having a significance, right. and they gain significance as they develop or people react to them. Yep. What's interesting about Chad's GMing style, and this is a little tangent about this, the world he's presenting this and it's all of that. But what I've noticed and I've discovered over time while watching him run, when an NPC is talking or an important character is talking, he calculates what they say. His exact phrasing mm-hmm. and terminology means something typically. Yes. While events, other things in the world may grow into be something huge, when you're talking to someone that seems to be plot significant, the words they're, they're coming out of their mouth, there is significance to how they are saying them. Down to the point where it compares to your plots, Dan, where everything in the world has this purpose in place. He does that with the dialogue. I don't know that everyone picks up on that, but I've picked up on it. I'm glad someone has. It's so that I can be clever. And what I mean by that is the important NPCs say things in a very specific way and use very specific words and very specific grammar. But I can flow with it, right? I can make it sound natural. And so I tell the players blah, 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 we interact, we interact, we interact. And then a couple of games later, then they have their aha moment and then they solve it. And then they go, three weeks ago, he said this. And I thought he meant that we're brothers, but it really, he's really my brother or something like that. (laughs) It's like, there's one of these fan theories that, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, people, everyone has their life. This fan theory will blow your mind, and and I hate that phrase because it's so overused. Right. These stupid clickbait things blow your mind. Like comment, I just, and subscribe. I just think of like some ragged crack whore with your skull <laughs> open, oh. just you know, filleting a lobe. <laughs> Brother, I'm sure there's a name for that. I don't want to know. Yeah. But I think a, a good example of this was not too long ago. 
my character is out and I am a ghost character. Right. Me as a player, I'm sitting there listening and I catch that Chad uses a plural where it doesn't make sense for Mm -hmm. what our characters know. And suddenly the wheels start turning in my head and things start lining up. One of the NPCs, they were questioning him. He answered honestly about something bad. Right. He did, but he did not say, I did this, but he used he used a huh. plural yep. and it went whoop. Well, the, right the, the over fan head. theory I was going to. Except I caught except it. You caught it. And you I couldn't do anything about couldn't. it. My character wouldn't have caught it because he's a ghost. My regular character, even if she would have caught it, eh, I don't know. I, as a player, picked it up mm-hmm. and I had no way to share it. It's you, fun to do that too because they're like, well, I want to see if they're telling the truth. Yeah, you you made your role double crits. They're telling the truth. You the, just are the the fan theory that I was going to mention is that in Lord of the Rings, because they've already established that you know the great eagles mm-hmm. are out there and all that stuff. That when they're at the top of the mountain and realize just how active Sauron is against them and such, and Gandalf is getting pulled down by the Balrog, the last thing he says is "Fly, you fools!" Right. With well, the obvious interpretation of it, and probably the intended interpretation of it, just run away. What was run away from the Balrog, See, you idiot? Yeah. Stop saying. I always thought, but, bitches, I can fly. I'm fine. Get on now. I, I can but fly. <laughs> the, the, the fan theory is he was telling them, don't walk, go find the great eagles, and to get the ring there, fly, you right. fools. So don't walk, start flying, because apparently all of this is too treacherous to walk across. Yeah. Now, that, once again, that's probably not the case. But the point being that some people look back at that based on the ending information and have that aha mm-hmm. moment of saying, well, maybe he meant this. And if you could look at different movies and different plays and books, sometimes it is meant that way, where right. the entire plot rests on a misinterpretation of some statement mm-hmm. that was made somewhere along the way. Yeah, It's a stupid example. But- I'm going to get a lot of hate for this. Tolkien wasn't that clever. <laughs> I'm with you, brother. He was that detailed, but yes, I don't know if but he, was, he wasn't that clever. There was an episode, and this this is not a good show. This is one of those ones you can't go back to, so don't. <laughs> but there was an episode of the classic G.I. Joe cartoon, the one in the Ooh. 80s, <laughs> where this guy yeah. keeps calling up. The one with the refrigerator Perry as a Joe. Yes, he's yes. got a football and a chain uh, yeah, and he spins and, around. Sergeant yeah. Slaughter, who's one of the few crossovers that actually kind of worked. Yeah. But there's this episode, and it's not a good episode, but it, it makes this point where the episode starts off with this guy calls like one of the hotlines, like, you know, red phone type hotlines mm-hmm. at G.I. Joe and says, I am the Viper and I'm coming on Thursday or something like that. <laughs> right. And they're like, because, you know, Cobra are sure. like, oh, hell, who is who is this Viper guy and what is he going to do? And so they start trying to go after Cobra and figure out mm-hmm. what the heck is up. And Cobra is, you know, of course, trying to because they're trying to figure out who is this agent and why is he claiming, you know, their sort of symbols and such. And they have this huge back and forth throughout the episode. And at the end of it, who shows up? is a contractor with a thick accent who's got like a squeegee. He's like, I am the the viper. Viper. I'm here to vipe your windows. (laughs) (laughs) And that reminds me, it's terrible. It's terrible. But the point being that the entire episode only made some amount of sense in retrospect. how many people had to die? (laughs) (laughs) Because through the whole thing, you're like, you know, G.I. Joe's trying to figure out who this guy is. And even Cobra, it's supposedly their agent. Even they don't know who he is. And so there's all this stuff going on. And it wants to okay, that's a terrible example. But it's a good example of the concept Mm. of, you know, that took on significance, even if it was not immediately apparent. And I think that is something you have to do 
is especially if this is not descriptor, if this is something you are making them interact with, your tire has blown, you can't finish your trip to work. Okay, at this point, you have to do something with it because otherwise it's banal, it's frustrating, and it's obfuscating. Yeah, It's just obstacles in my path. I wanted to get somewhere. You have now stopped me. It's not description. You just didn't say, well, you notice that people are driving unusually slow today, which if I chase it, you might say, well, you know, it's the the cops are out in force. Whereas if I don't chase it, it doesn't matter anyway. Right. It's just a hook. I can Mm. bite it or not bite it. But when you blow out the tire on my car, you force my mouth on that hook. Right. Right. And I want to know there's going to be something that this really is not just a pure banal triviality, because I think to me as a player, that's just going to be frustrating. And it's the exact same reason I don't like random encounters. And then you're just wasting my time. I was thinking about that earlier in the course of the conversation, that looking at it from the other perspective, there are plenty of combat encounters that occur, particularly in D&D style games that are of no significance, that are utterly unnecessary and frankly very very boring yeah they're just a waste of time well i was actually just in a dnd 5e game uh, last night are we supposed to hate 5e or like 5e i like 5e i love 5e so. it's it's fine i mean okay. i i prefer other systems i, I think but I mean, I'll I'll play it. I still run it. I'm thoroughly good. Think on four yeah. E was like you're supposed to hate it. If you don't hate it, there's something wrong with you. I love so miniature I, games. Yeah, I personally don't yeah. care if someone loves or hates it. I, I yeah. like it, and I love. There are a it, lot so. of people who really do care. Yeah. Yes, you love it, or yeah. it's like Hudson Hawk. <laughs> I like it. And I, I love care it. if you don't. I uh, don't like bad movies, so <laughs> I don't like Hudson Hawk. So there's plenty of bad movies I like. <laughs> but, <laughs> right, Hudson so, Hawk's not one of them. <laughs> so we're in this five E game, we're in. So you admit Hudson Hawk is a bad movie, and that you just no, like it. It is not a bad movie, and I love it. <laughs> oh, okay. Because that's not what you. Said. Sorry, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I'll forgive you eventually. <laughs> but so in this five E game, we're in this extra planar dungeon. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we are working through the series of like various encounter rooms that have bites or riddles or whatever. And we go into them and then we're collecting coins. And then at the end, we had to use the coins to solve one final puzzle that gave us the MacGuffin we were in this dungeon. So you're in a casino. Kind of. Yeah. But okay. So we're in this other extra planar dimension. Casino. And at the end of it, we get put in. Are you familiar with there's there's a riddle that's been done in many, many iterations. The Bellagio (laughs) where you have X number of people and A hates B and B hates C Mm. and C hates A. And like you can only take them over one at a time. You figure out how to do without making them kill each other. We had basically that was the setup of the puzzle. And we were able to solve it. And the guy that was running the game. He was just trying to run a dungeon, Mm -hmm. and there was a puzzle for us to solve, okay? But in the setup to this, there's kind of this river Styx-like thing. But this river Styx-like thing, it's not a river. It's a lake of fire, okay? It's this, like, river of fire. And there's this boat that can cross it to the other side where apparently you get kind of sorted off into various afterlives or whatever. It's kind of like the river sticks, I guess, mm-hmm. or whatever that river is. It's outside of uh, hell sticks. or Hades. You're I right. think it's sticks, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. you're correct. I thought there was a second river too, but anyways, point, point being that this Our guy, Cerberus, all that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And this guy that we run into is kind of like death and it's that puzzle. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we have to help death get everyone across. Well, the agitators in this that he had to get across were a goblin, a baby, and a puppy. Now, in the course of this setup, it was the goblin was trying to eat the baby. Sure. 
I don't remember what the baby's thing was. Pooping? And the puppy was trying to stop the goblin, was going to attempt to kill the goblin, but all of them have to make it across, right? right? And I, and, but we walk into this room, and almost instantly, this death-type character starts... So you put the baby on first, then the dog... No, because you can't leave the dog and the goblin on I first. don't know. It's, it's, it's... I could pull All it three are delicious. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's in the chat log for our Roll20 game. But we get there, and as soon as we walk into the room, this death figure starts like condescending to us morally mm-hmm. like oh you're just interlopers in here from a confused hour world waiting man. and i'm like stop stop right there <laughs> i'm like let's review the situation i come from the outer world and i'm trying to get something to close a portal to an extra dimension to try and save them you are down here sitting on a lake of fire as an eternal undead being and you are about to drag a baby, a puppy, and a goblin across a lake of fire. So it's like, no, you are you have hit moral rock bottom. <laughs> there is no place below where you are. Hitler's like, like yeah, that yeah, guy's a dick. Even Hitler. <laughs> Hitler had a girlfriend, right? <laughs> this guy is less lovable than Hitler. Uh-huh. Okay. And so I'm like, seriously, you are going to condescend to me when you are sitting here and your job is apparently dealing with babies and puppies and a lake of fire. And he's like, well, you know, I don't make those decisions. I, <laughs> I'm and, just and I following said, orders. And, and that's what I said. I'm like, yeah. wait a minute. So you just do this. You don't ask any questions. I said, let me ask you something. I said, the goblin, I understand why he's at the lake of fire. I said, what can a baby possibly do? Right. What has this baby done? What, what is the list of charges against this baby? And this dog and what is, is this? going to fight a goblin to save the, the baby. baby. And Shouldn't I'm like, the dog be in Valhalla or right. something? And I'm like, so, and you got a puppy dog here, <laughs> not even a full grown dog. This puppy dog. Which, first of all, shouldn't like, you know, all dogs go to heaven. But on top of that, <laughs> this, this puppy dog where they're shiny and chrome is is trying to save a baby from a goblin. Why are the pearly gates not open and God himself lifting this puppy up and out of here? What has this puppy done to end up in a lake <laughs> of fire? And you're asking no questions and you're going to condescend to me. And it was like this huge, huge well, like, if the puppy is pulled up to the gates and there's no one to protect the baby from dude, the goblin. I went on a 30-minute bender over this. <laughs> John or any of the people that were in that game will attest. They, they will witness me, brother, that <laughs> that I was shiny and chrome, yes. and I went on this bender for 30 minutes. Now, here's the point. Here's the punchline to the story as <laughs> the, it relates. The game died. They all hate you. And... <laughs> but as it relates to yes. the, our topic, there is no moral significance there is no story as to why a baby a puppy dog a goblin and death are standing at the edge of a lake of fire it's a puzzle right the game master fluff is that the the game master is a nice guy right this little sexy little sexy's running the game george is a good guy george is running a fun game Mm. and you shit all over it george is not running that kind of game no in a game chad that you or i run if a baby is there it was either planned or the minute someone calls us out, we're going to no, be like... No, it's a men in black thing. You know, what's she doing there in this neighborhood with school bucks? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that guy's just yeah. lifting weights. And, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And it's like, if we did not already have a plan, the minute somebody calls us on it, we're going to be like, oh, yeah, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah. I don't know how many times I've been called on something and that suddenly became plot significant. <laughs> yeah. I didn't think of that. 
But now I did. Right. See, in my mind, I want either an all-ages comic book or to do another one-shot called Valhalla's Pack, and they're all puppies who have <laughs> gone to Valhalla, right? Yeah. And band together on this pack and have adventures. No, and the fight frost giants. And the adventure, though, is that they're puppies, right? Right, right. But they're not, they're not dead. But they're trying to get to Valhalla by doing heroic deeds, like... Taking down terrorists and saving babies and from goblins. <laughs> from goblins. Taking, <laughs> taking down terrorists. They have to stop 9 yeah, 11. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Oh, but they're, but they're just normal dogs. Stop. They're just puppies, but this is their journey, right? Right. In the Valhalla. Yep. I could just see them after the first plane, first plane hits the North Tower, right? This rainbow bridge appears out of the sky, and the pack is just running toward the South Tower like, to fight Oh, the- no. <laughs> There's one St. Bernard kind of lagging behind because he's pudgy. Right. Wow. But the hello, bad. Fear the Con. <laughs> the point being that this was not something that in his game had any significance. It was mm-hmm. purely incidental. He just needed the puzzle. Yeah. And what happened was I gave it significance. Mm-hmm. And he did not lead me on. He was not encouraging me to no. keep pursuing it. They were trying to get me to stop. Absolutely. But I was just at this point where my character had gone on such a bender mm-hmm. that at this point, I couldn't stop. <laughs> it's like when you've gone this far, you just have to keep going. And we did eventually. No, I wasn't a total ass. We did eventually mm-hmm. solve, solve the, the puzzle. puzzle. Yes. Yeah. Miranda's character put her hand over my mouth so I couldn't talk. <laughs> so I'm just gesticulating wildly and yelling in muffled tones while they solve the puzzle. And then they usher me out of there and I get off some, I don't remember what it was, some parting middle finger <laughs> shot at the yeah. at death before I leave. But anyway, the incidental, I think, can mm. absolutely be great to your game if, one, the players have the right expectations, yeah. and two, you have a way of framing it. So even if it is incidental to the primary plot, it is not incidental or trivial to the experience of the game in the same way somebody dropping something in a 3D movie is yeah. not trivial to the experience of watching and, that movie. And let it inspire you, too, as a game master. Let stuff grow and build the scene. But like you said, if there's a character, players go off, interview the character. Why did this happen? Why is this like this? Yeah, and for the interview and character thing they're talking about, it was a mental trick we mm. described some episodes back. Or if you have an NPC that's not fully fleshed out, just in case it's the first episode if you're the boot you listen to, <laughs> uh, what they were suggesting is interview that NPC in your mind. Mm. Like, okay, Mr. NPC, my own NPC, you know, why why are you so evil? What puts you down this road? Right. You kind of do this internal dialogue. And then they ask, they answer, what is evil? Yeah. And, and you know what? That's mm-hmm. you now get a sense of, of the kind of the Pontius pilot sort of Greek approach to this of mm-hmm. what is truth. Right. So, Chad has discovered recently, like within the past few days, the joy of random tables for defining NPCs <laughs> and then asking the question of, well, how did that person become a, somebody with a monocle? Right. And- yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games. Be safe on the roads, and we will catch you next time. Yeah. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2016. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy Network of Shows. 
You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.